This is our sixth week working our way through um, our Gospel 101 series that came right after Ephesians, our, our, our time spent in Ephesians, a year spent in Ephesians, and just before we look at John. We're going to go through the book of John together as a church family. I'm excited about that. And the idea of this Gospel 101 series is allowing the truths of Scripture, the Gospel message, the wheelhouse, the sweet spot of Scripture, like just where it just all comes home. Jesus on the cross, dying in our place for our sins, giving us hope, that hope that changes everything. We know it. So many of us know it. So many of us have been quoting these verses and quoting these truths since we were old enough to breathe. And yet there's so little that's lived out practically. And so many times we don't know how to live out these truths practically. We have them here, but they haven't engaged those several inches to our hearts to where it actually determines and alternates a different behavior in our lifestyle. This is why so many people outside of the church and even inside the church look at Christians and the first thought that comes to mind isn't love, but the gospel, it should be love, right? But it's hypocrite. It's not grace and patient. It's harsh and rude. And so this disconnect is what we're trying to help bring together here in our, in our little time spent together these six weeks as we unpack what it means, but also what it, what it should produce. Okay? So this morning, we're going to be looking at the idea of forgiveness. And the idea of forgiveness is where the rubber meets the road. It's where you put up or you shut up. It's where you can actually see your behaviors and your reactions and your actions to others, especially those who hurt you and who you have hurt. You're actually able to see the gospel produce a different type of behavior. Or it doesn't, and that reveals something as well. So this is the direction we're going in, and so I pray that, uh, that we'll all benefit from this. Um, okay, I'm getting a little bit of feedback. If we could help that, that'd be great. Um, let's pray, and uh, we'll get to work in Matthew 18. Lord, uh, I thank you very much for uh, allowing us to gather together like this in freedom. Uh, this morning, I thank you as I, as I walked outside and, and felt the 70-degree morning this morning at 6.30, Lord, I was just uh, immediately, uh, I found my heart going out to those on the East Coast, Lord, as they are experiencing um, some very odd and strange weather this morning. Lord, would you protect them? Uh, would, you, uh, would you help them? Would you keep safe their property? Um, would you protect us against looting? Lord, would, would we not resolve to that? Lord, just be with, your, be with our country here, Lord, uh, as we are looking to you this morning, and uh, we know that you are the provider, and Lord, that you are in control, and so we're just asking you to show grace on these people on the East Coast with Hurricane Irene. Lord, I uh, ask you also to be with us in our time in your word. Lord, would you open our minds, but more importantly, would you, would you alter our minds in such a way that it produces different behavior as it captivates our heart and propels us into mission this week. Lord, we need your help. Lord, would you please be with us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at Matthew 18, uh, and we're going to go through uh, uh, starting in verse 21. Okay, follow along with me. Then Peter, who was one of the disciples, came up and said to Jesus, 
Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times seven. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times. Stop there for a second. In Judaism, it was understood that to forgive someone three times, it would have been more than appropriate. And that truth is taken from the Old Testament books of Job and Amos. So when Peter was saying seven times, he was going double and some. So he's like, man, seven times really shows that I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus and I understand grace, I understand mercy, and I'm a, I'm a true follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, no, 77, or some translations say 70 times seven. And the idea there is that you do not count. It, it's, 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 it's going above and beyond so far that you actually lose count. Jesus' point is that if you're actually keeping record of 77 times that, someone has, that you've forgiven someone, you, you haven't forgiven them one time. Because true forgiveness, as we see, doesn't take that wrong into consideration. We're going to get there. So then he, he unpacks for us a parable, which is a story that he makes up there on the spot to prove an example, to prove a point as a way of an example. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Wow. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, begging him with his complete life, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe me. All right, to bring a little light into this story right here, we're going to unpack it a little bit more. Notice he found him. I don't think that means that he stumbled upon him. I think that the, the better translation is that he went looking for him. Right? And he, so as soon as he gets released from all this debt, he's like, well, wait a minute. Somebody owes me, and I'm tired of being poor. I'm going to go find somebody who owes me something and get it. I want to go a little bit deeper here. I want you to see exactly what 10,000 talents actually is. 10,000 talents is a hyperbole used by Jesus. This is an inconceivable debt. No one would ever be able to repay this amount, much less be able to borrow this amount. The point is to show the great forgiveness that we have received in Christ. This, this amount, if you made $15 an hour, this amount that this man owed was over $6 billion U.S. dollars. $6 billion U.S. dollars. If there was a Greek word to $6 billion, it would be a lot, okay? Like this is a lot of money, Okay? He owes this other man. He went and found him, seized him, choked him over only twelve thousand U.S. dollars. Twelve thousand. If if your life depended on it, the majority of us in here 
could fundraise, could save, could work an extra job, and we could actually earn this 12000 to pay back within 12 months. And yet, he was forgiven moments earlier a debt that would take him multiple lifetimes, multiple lifetimes, making great money to even come close to paying back. So these, these fellow servants observed what just happened. And they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him, the guy who choked the man, and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Are you not understanding the, what I just did for you by extending mercy and forgiveness? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from your heart. And the term from your heart is implying something deep within, true forgiveness, deep within to the level of motive and altering your behavior around that person. Genuinely forgiving that person. So the point of the story is this. Because we have been forgiven much, we should be propelled to forgive others. And the one who does not and cannot forgive others does not understand the forgiveness that is found in Christ. So I ask you, if you had to explain what forgiveness was to someone else, how would you do that? What words would you use to paint the picture, here's forgiveness, and then try to explain it? What, what are some of those terms? Or, or to look at it differently, Excuse me, what words come to mind when you consider forgiving someone who has harmed you? You don't get too far in unpacking forgiveness that you realize this is tough. It's far from easy. So how are we doing as Christians who have been, you know, for those of us in this room that profess Christ, that call ourselves Christians... I know there's some others here that are Christ doubters. I get that. We're going to get there in a little bit. But for those of us who consider us Christians and we say by identifying with Christ that we have been forgiven tons, how are we doing in forgiving others? The particular question that, that we're going to unpack this morning is this. How does the gospel enable you to have compassion and genuine love toward people you need to forgive? How does the concept of forgiveness determine your behavior, your heart, towards those who have let you down, that have wronged you? This is probably one of the most difficult things in life for us to do. Because you see, the deeper the wound that we have, the more challenging and layered it gets. And we often are, are confused about what real forgiveness looks like. Is it true that we can forgive and forget? Is that even possible? Can you think now, in our time together, can you think for a second of someone that you need to forgive? Does, does a name come to mind? Does a situation of pain bring up somebody? You're like, yeah, there's an angst there. Let me, let me 
ask some questions and give you some thoughts here to try to bring about some forgiveness that's needed in your heart towards somebody, okay? Trail with me here. Think of someone that you have distanced yourself from. Think of the people that you feel uncomfortable around. Think of the people that you at one time enjoyed, but you no longer enjoy their company. Process some relational conflicts that you, that you rehearse over and over and over. Think of those. When your mind is, is at ease and you think of, oh yeah, that's weighing over me right now. This person really hurt me. And even in your daydreaming moments, you're rehearsing how this person has offended you. Someone who said something or, or has done something that has hurt you. What do you, maybe it's a person that comes to mind when you think of the term anger or bitterness or irritation or fear or gossip or disappointment or critical spirit. What does it mean to even love your enemy? And how do you know if it is your enemy? What about the person who sexually abused you? What about the boss who furthered his career at your expense? And you're left sweeping up the disaster from him just bailing on you. What about the spouse who cheated on you? What about the roommate who lied regarding his behavior to cover up his behavior and pinned it on you and basically framed you? And now you're suffering the consequences. What about the friend who talked about you and damaged your reputation? What about the boss who lied to you? And then when confronted, absolutely denies the whole thing. Never happened. You, you've got some of these situations? You've got some people popping up in your, in your mind's eye? You've got their faces? you got that? How do you forgive that person? How do you overlook that moment? The idea of forgiveness isn't overlooking that moment. The idea of forgiveness is confronting that moment and looking at it through the lens of the gospel. And this is where we're spending our time. Over the past few weeks in our series together, we've seen that when the gospel truly takes root in us, that it begins to work itself out through us, altering our behavior. Okay? So forgiveness is, is one area where the gospel must go to work in us, practically speaking. Okay? It has to, practically, tomorrow morning, tonight, when we leave this building, maybe even before we leave this room today, this has to make a difference between us and someone else. So let's consider here how the gospel propels us and moves us towards forgiveness. You see, the gospel begins with God's movement toward us. It's God taking the initiative though he is the offended party. Remember week one, for those that were with us, we unpacked the grand narrative, the grand picture of the Bible, the big four-volume set of the storyline of Scripture. Creation, fall, redemption in Christ, and recreation, the new heavens and the new earth, that he's setting everything back into good, very good. We're the ones who have fallen. We, because of our first parents, we've inherited their nature, their sin nature. So we're sinners by birth and by choice. 
It's something inherited, and it's something that we actually do. We act out on ourselves. The Bible says that we're all sinners. And the Bible says that the price of that sin is death. So we're the ones who offended God. He did nothing to offend us. So he, though the innocent party, we, the convicted guilty party, he moves towards us first. Already, that is worth worshiping him for. Already, that's where we should just be like, just for him to make one step, just for him to have the thought process to say, I'm moving in this direction. What? Towards them? You've got to be kidding me. This is our God, and this is who we worship. The one who takes the initiative to pursue us. Just like Adam in the garden, remember? Chapter 3, where, he, where Adam and, and Eve, they went to hide themselves in the trees, and they heard God coming in the midst of the, the cool of the morning, and they hide themselves behind the trees, and God says, Adam, where are you? It wasn't Adam that says, God, where are you? God, I feel this distance. No, it was in Adam to seclude himself and to hide himself. God is the one who said, Adam, where are you? What's going on? Who, who told you that you were naked? Why do you have the shame? Unpacking, unearthing the sin that's in his heart. He took the initiative. Romans 5.10 says that God acted to reconcile the relationship while we were still God's enemies. Consider Isaiah 59.2. Your iniquities, your sins have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. Our sin is an offense. He had every right to condemn us. He had every right to resist us. He had every right to sever the relationship and let us suffer the consequences for our actions. But he did not. Instead, praise Jesus, he moves towards us. It is while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. Romans 5. So we can summarize God's forgiveness this way. God moves towards us. He invites us and enables us to move toward him. The gospel starts with God, the offended party, moving towards us, the offenders. He cancels our debt and opens to us an opportunity for reconciliation. And if we acknowledge our sin and repent of our sin, we are reconciled to God and we're able to experience the joy and delight of relationship with him. And that being in Christ, reconciled to God, is where we experience no longer being orphans and cast out, so not good enough, to chosen and adopted and children and heirs to heaven and all that is good. This is the hope of our gospel. This is the hope of the message of Jesus Christ. True peace. So then what does it look like for us to forgive others as God has forgiven us? Because that's forgiveness in the gospel. So then how does that, how does that process and trickle down to where we actually can forgive others? You see, Scripture assumes that, we have, that, that those of us who have truly experienced God's forgiveness in the gospel, 
will be radically forgiving towards others. It assumes this behavior. And by contrast, if we're unforgiving and resentful or bitter towards others, it's a sure sign that we are not living out of the deep joy and the freedom of the gospel. So I'm asking you, are you like that man who went and choked somebody, who who says they understand forgiveness over here on Sundays, but then Monday through Saturday, we're choking those people who owe us because we don't truly understand forgiveness. Are you free? Are you free? Are you living out of the freedom in the gospel? Or are you constantly keeping record of those who offend you? I mean, my goodness, think of that. Think of Peter's question. How, how often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? I mean, someone hurts us once. It's over. I mean, we, we say this cliche, something like, if you burn me once, it's, my, it's your fault. Burn me twice, it's my fault. It's not going to happen again. I'm not going to trust you again. So if we would have even held up to the Judaistic type of the Judaism forgiveness of three times, that's more than what most of us do. So the gospel must work in such a deep way in our hearts and our minds that it does alter us to be able to look at 77 and say, sure. And it helps us do this. You see, our forgiveness of others is intended to mirror the forgiveness that God has given us. And it's when we forgive others that causes them to want to know more. You see, we're to take the initiative. Consider Matthew 5. 23 and 24. Jesus says this, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Okay. Look at that passage of scripture. If you, if you remember that your brother has something against you, where someone has wronged you. It's, it doesn't say if you remember that you've, you've sinned against somebody, right? If someone has hurt you, you are to take the initiative to seek reconciliation. This is where it gets tough for me. It's easy for me to call out people and, and run to people and say, man, I know I've dropped the ball here and I'm sorry. And I offer grace. But man, when they do it to me and they don't extend that same forgiveness and grace, whew, bitterness, resentfulness, separation, Am I the only one who deals with this? Are y'all with me? You understand what I'm saying here? Do you feel that wall that comes up when you're so, and we use this even in explaining the situation to our friends. We'll be unpacking a situation with our friends and say, man, you know, I'm always the one who says I'm sorry. I'm always the one who says, and he does this, man, and, and he's, not, he's not coming to me and saying he's sorry. What's up with that? I'm like, yeah, man, yeah, that's terrible. Man, just don't trust him, man. I mean, he, you've given him a chance, and he's just not... He, you know, he's, he's taking advantage of you. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is taking advantage of me. And you shouldn't ever, no, I shouldn't ever tr- let him trust me. And, uh, and it's not going to happen. And then we leave thinking that we're like, okay, this is good. I can move beyond this. I've learned my lesson. This is how we handle this. And this is not Christian. This is not biblical. This is sinful. So others sin against you. You can be in sin in how you handle that situation. 
This gets complex. To take it a level deeper, Jesus says, literally, he says this, before you worship, go and take care of this issue. So Pastor Jacob and I were processing this this morning because in a few minutes, we're going we're gonna to share communion together. Very similar to what this man was doing in offering his gift at the altar. If we were to apply this to us right now, today, Jesus would say, before you take communion, and this would echo Paul as well in Corinthians, before you take communion and, and, and say publicly that you have understood forgiveness by saying, yes, I identify myself with Christ, I dip it in the juice or the wine, I, I take the bread, before you publicly confess at the altar, at the communion time, that you understand forgiveness and that you have been forgiven much, first go to those who have offended you and make it right. And then come share in this worship experience and imagine your heart being freed to worship. You see, it's when we begin to process what it's like to practically forgive others and offer grace to others that we're able to celebrate freedom in Christ. Jesus dropped a bomb on my heart in this passage of Scripture. You see, it is us. We are to offer forgiveness and open the door to others for the opportunity of reconciliation. Because complete reconciliation is always contingent upon the other person's repentance. And this is contrary to how I was raised as a pastor's kid. I was taught that if someone offended you, you could forgive them in your heart and leave it at that. And let God deal with them. But after studying this this week, I have seen that that is not okay. And I should not settle for there to be separation rather than reconciliation. Neither should you. To, to paint this little picture for you how this, how this works, the elders of the Axis Church, we make it 100% agreement on every decision we make. We don't want majority rule. We don't want 90% rule. We want 100% because if you don't write it into your bylaws that it's 100% agreement or no no, no decision at all, then you're writing in division into your elder decision-making. And we see that as foolish. So it's 100% agreement for something, or it's tabled, and we pray through it, we process it more. Trying to break that down to here. To just say that as long as you forgive someone else in your heart, whatever that means, and not seek reconciliation for someone who's offended you, is to say that it's okay that there is irreconcilable relationships around me, that, that, that God can reach so far, but these are just simply out, out of his, his working and out of my opportunity to see reconciled. And you live with those walls built up between you and these other people, that's not freedom. That's writing into your worldview that it's okay to have angst against others who hurt you. That is not all right. The Bible teaches over and over that we are to confront those 
who have offended us. And here is one of those passages. So we take the initiative to move toward those who offended us, and we invite them in to move towards us in repentance. And what this means is that our work isn't finished when we have forgiven someone. Our heart's desire is not simply to forgive the offense that's been towards us, but ultimately to see the person who has offended us reconciled to God and to us. That's the, that's the full cycle of, of forgiveness. You want to know how you can forgive and forget? You reconcile. That's not just getting over something or overlooking it or like just letting enough time. Man, time, like water under the bridge, time under the bridge of your life is antithetical. It is the complete opposite of forgiveness. And it can provide false security and false forgiveness. Just let time go and, and we'll be able to smooth out so you don't see somebody for 10 years. And you just, you, you just hit it off, man. And then you leave and you realize you're like, man, there's something still there. But it's okay. We were friends today. Maybe we can just get beyond this. There's still something there that must be dealt with. Time is deceiving you into thinking that that issue has been resolved. And it hasn't. Okay? So we have to deal with this. So we want to see sin's power over this person destroyed. And we cannot make this happen. But we can pray for it. We can long for it. And we can welcome it by seeking reconciliation. So, we've got the person in our mind. This person's offended me. And I understand how God's forgiven me much. And I don't want to be the guy who was thrown in jail, begged for mercy, and went out and choked the first person I could find that owed me anything. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy who, understanding God's forgiveness, I want to forgive. But where do I get the strength? Where do I get the power? Practically, how do I go do this? Because it's hard enough to forgive somebody who's deeply wounded me? Where do we find the grace? Where do we find the strength and the power to long for restoration? The answer, of course, is found in the gospel. The gospel doesn't just show us how to forgive. It empowers us to forgive. When we say, oh, I just can't forgive that person because of, of what he did for me, because of what she did for me, essentially we're saying that person's sin is greater than mine. It's larger than mine. It's worse than mine. The awareness of, of our own sin becomes very small, while the awareness of another's sin becomes very big. And the underlying feeling is that we deserve to be forgiven, but the other person who offended us, they don't deserve to be forgiven. This is what happens when we do not forgive. We are living with a small view of God's holiness and a small view of our own sin and a small view of the cross of Jesus Christ that says forgiven. And we're living with a large view of, of our self-righteousness. And we're living with a large view of other people's sin. So we elevate the, the extremes of their sin. We minimize our sin. And then, oh, by our own estimation, we look pretty darn good. That's not what we're supposed to be looking at. Increase your view of the holiness of God. See him that you have offended and see the forgiveness that comes by the power of the cross 
as Christ stood there bearing the penalty of the wrath of God that was supposed to be extended towards you, and yet he owns it. He doesn't deflect it, refract it. He owns it. He owns that burden, that sin. It's what the Bible calls our propitiation, our wrath absorber on your behalf so that he can say, even on the cross, hear what Christ said. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Think of that in that moment. If ever on this planet there was a time for something contrary to be said, it was Christ on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. As his body stood there, ripped to shreds, organs exposed, falling out of his wide open rib cage, Father, forgive them? Really? And then our brothers and our sisters in Christ offend us. We're like, "Mm -mm, not again. As Paul would say it, my brothers, these things should not be so. This is not the way that you have learned Christ. It is when we embrace a gospel perspective of our own sin that we recognize that the sin debt God has forgiven on our behalf is greater than any sin that's been committed against us. And as we grow in our awareness of God's holiness, we begin to see more clearly the distance between God's perfection and our imperfection. As the significance of Jesus' work on the cross grows in our consciousness, in our hearts, in our, in our hearts and our minds, our willingness and our ability to seek restoration with others will grow. Did you get that? As we press in to understand who God is and how he's loved us and how he's forgiven us and who we are apart from him, and the only reason why we have a different future and a brighter hope is because of what he did for us, it's going to propel us to be more easy with others when they have hurt us. And it's going to allow us to move more quickly to seek restoration and forgiveness. So you say you can't forgive, press into the holiness of God. Press into seeing who you are apart from him. Write down those details. Who are you without the hope of Jesus, without his forgiveness? Like what sins do you have? What sins have been forgiven? Man, just write books on the sin that you've committed. Write books on the sin that you've committed in your hearts and your minds and just see like, holy cow, look at what God has done for me. And, and write on the other side what that one person has offended you on. Seriously. Is it three or four items? Maybe it's a page. Maybe it's two pages of sin against you. Consider your lifetime and your sinful attitudes, hearts, motives, even the inclinations of our spirits that no one ever knows. Write those out. You'll have volumes by the time you're 70 years old. And Jesus says, forgiven. And you look at these two pages that someone sinned against you, and you say, hmm. Jesus would say, as we started, that through his story that we talked about, the man who choked the guy, This man never really understood forgiveness. He never really understood the fact that he was forgiven six billion dollars. And he is drawing a line in the sand, not at six billion and one, he's writing it at $12,000. May God help us see 
the forgiveness that we have provided by, by Christ on the cross. And may that propel us to forgive others. May his gospel work in us. Forgiveness is costly. Every time. Because it means canceling a debt when we feel that we have every right to demand payment. It means absorbing the pain, the hurt, the shame, and the grief of someone's sin against us. It means longing for repentance and restoration even though we never caused a separation to begin with. But what the gospel says that this is exactly what God did for us in Christ Jesus. And it's through the gospel that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to do the same to others. Because we see in the gospel that Jesus canceled our debt. He absorbed our pain and our shame and our guilt. And he opened the doors for the opportunity for reconciliation. Do the same with others. As Jesus would say multiple times, go and do likewise. And you see, when we do this, uh, the other people that we do this with, their minds are going to be blown away. Their hearts are going to be like, man, what is, what is wrong with you? This is not normal. Now, you do know what I did, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I did. And I want us to work through this together. I want us to be reconciled. I don't want us to smooth it over. I, I don't want to just go to therapy to deal with the fact that you've hurt me. I want us to work this out together. And God's Holy Spirit is enough to empower that reconciliation. And as we seek reconciliation with others and their mind is blown, this, that act of forgiving them, even when they really, really, really devastated you, when you forgive them, it will compel them to know of your joy, your peace, your strength. How, how, how does this happen? And it might not be immediate on the spot, but before too long, they're going to be like, how did you get to come talk to me about this? I could never see myself doing this if this happened to me. And then, just like a painter in a canvas, you begin to unfold the beauties of the gospel. And you say, oh, my sin pales in comparison. And you just begin to paint the glory of God in front of their face with your words. And you begin to unpack how much you've been forgiven and what Christ did for you in living a perfect life and dying that horrible death. God, tell me more. I want to know more. This is how people see their lives changed. It's by the gospel being spoken and lived out. Christian, may this be our number one vocation in life. May this be our jobs. May we see this as our task. Because we have been so forgiven, may we be propelled to forgive. And those of us who are in this room who, who are Christ doubters and you're just really, really curious to this Jesus stuff, doesn't this sound good? What I mean by that is don't you wish Christians did this? Don't you think that you would be more open to receive Christ and to follow him if Christians did this? Christians in the room, would we understand that? Would our forgiveness be paving a road to Christ rather than putting up roadblock after roadblock after roadblock? May we make it easy for those around us who are Christ doubters to see Jesus. 
and to see him as better than anything else. Even my reputation. Even me humbling myself, the offended party, and going to them and seeking reconciliation. May God help us. And Christ doubter, I invite you in. I invite you in to the opportunity to see Jesus as better than. And I, I invite you in to be able to see all your sin that is against God absolutely forgiven. Everything. Even that thing that you haven't shared with anybody since you were 10 years old. Forgiven. Even what has happened to you, you can be forgiven and you can be given the strength and the power to go to the people who have offended you and seek reconciliation. And just like Jesus did for us as portrayed in Ephesians 3, Jesus becomes our peace and he destroys the hostility and there's beautiful reconciliation. You can get in on this. The Bible teaches that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. That you see Jesus as not just a good guy dying a bad death but you see him as the savior of the world. And as he was there between two worlds, the heavens and the earth, suspended on that cross, that what he was doing was reconciling you from the earth to join him in the heavens as he defeats sin and death, your sin, your death, by dying the death on the cross and beating death himself three days later through his glorious resurrection, so too you have the hope of that. Come and get some. It is wonderful. And if that's you this morning, I would love for you to come share this with me. Share this with Pastor Jacob. Share this with Keith. Share this with anybody on the stage that you've seen. Share this with the people in the sound booth. Share this with the children's workers. It's hard to point out anybody else other than those people because those people you see, okay? So, like, share this with them and let them celebrate this. We're not going to unpack your history. We're going to celebrate your future. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Christ did. And that's going to be the cause of celebration. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the truths and the power that's found in your, in your scripture, Lord. May you empower us truly to be able to do this so the world may know that you are God and that you are good. We love you. In Christ's name.